0: Of you. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 8th, 2021. First day back to school for some folks. Others have been there for over a week now. This is episode 329. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. On this week's show, we're going to go around the bases to see what we missed and probably what you missed, because surely you're not watching Orioles baseball.
1: We'll also try to determine whether we really, you know, missed it. Or
0: not. Uh, and then we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. So, Jake, uh, what are you imbibing on this evening, Scott? I
1: am drinking the most overcarbonated beverage I've ever enjoyed. This is a Sculpin IPA grapefruit uh, India Pale Ale from the Ballast Point Brewing Company, formerly an independent brew, but now part of the greater family that is in Bev. Yes. And I have put most of it all over your floor. I apologize. Uh,
0: yeah, like I said, um, not doing so great with the with the cannage and the brewing. so um, yeah, I am also going with a similar theme of um, drinking a, a small homecraft brew from um, a local brewery out of the Boston area called um, Samuel Adams. I think it's Adams a- Adams so my apologies. Um, yeah, it's a a summer ale because I got flack for drinking pumpkin beer on the last podcast. So, um, Jake, I'm trying to, you know, enjoy summer while it lasts. No, you're trying to... F- you're trying to finish whatever's
1: in your fridge that's absolutely true <laughs> if you're interested in seeing what we're finishing out of the fridge on a daily weekly or hourly basis now that the kids are back to school come find
0: us on untapped i'm at jakee4025 i'm at magn 8606 and with that it's time for a checkup All right, Jake, so uh, what's been going on with the uh, the injury situation on the Baltimore Orioles?
1: Well, you know, it's actually pretty quiet. There's not a whole lot to talk about, particularly if you're not a has-been. Um, let's start with this one. Let's start with Ramon Urias. Um, he is, um, you know, he's on the bench, uh, or at least he was earlier this week, for uh, part of the Royals series uh, with some uh, upper leg issues. That's one of those day-to-day things. He's fine. Everything's fine. We had uh, Jorge Lopez uh, go to the IL, the 10-day IL, and uh, in some roster manipulation, we had Hunter Harvey head to the 60-day DL. So he's done. You mean like forever or for this season? For this season. Yeah, he's done. Okay. Um, but the uh, the most notable news was uh, Trey Mancini, who was out uh, for a variety of reasons, day-to-day banged up. Let's... Let's hold on to that and talk about it in the middle.
0: So did Hunter Harvey actually pitch a single inning this year for the Baltimore Orioles?
1: Allegedly.
0: Allegedly? I I don't recall is the best way to describe it. So I'm going to pull it up and just see. But, man, what a disaster of a season for Hunter Harvey. Um, You know, coming into spring training, this is kind of a season that, you know, he was going to, in essence, have his chance to basically flourish at the bullpen at 26 years old. You mean again? Again, yes. Okay. Um, and, uh, a- absolutely nothing. So, uh, yeah, let's see for the 2021 season, he pitched eight and two thirds of an inning. So actually much more than I was expecting in nine games. Um, yeah, that's greatly disappointing. Um, hey, better luck next year. So going through his career stats, uh, to date, 2019, six and a third, 2020, eight and two thirds, 2021, eight and two thirds. Uh in, in addition to this, he hasn't had a May, minor league uh performance since 2019, uh, where he posted a little over 80 innings at that point. So um yeah, not great. Not great, Bob.
1: At least <clears throat> this is this is my Jim Hunter hat. All right, you ready
0: for this one? I'm ready. At least it's a meaningless season. <laughs> Very well put, Mr. Hunter. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, just just to see your way to the tarpaulin. Yeah, just very disappointing. Um, you know, however he does go to arbitration this year, one would think that the Orioles are just going to pay him the $500,000 and have him come back. But I don't know. Like, he is in such a train wreck of a situation. The Orioles are,
1: unfortunately, yeah. a team of opportunity. Yeah. He is not costing anybody a spot. True. What about Matt Harvey next year? <laughs> he is not cost. <laughs> wait, wait. I can do this. No, I can do this. Yeah. I can answer. That's he is not costing anyone that matters a spot. What about Mike Wright? Wait, Mike Wright or new new, new Mike, Mike Wright. Wright, new new Mike Wright, <laughs> new new Mike Wright. <laughs> Eventually, it's going to be like six degrees of Kevin Wright or Mike Wright. But uh, Matt, look, we have the time to see if Matt Harvey can resurrect himself right, so on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. You're throwing
0: money at him and saying we're going to keep a roster spot for him.
1: They're certainly not spending the money this year. They've, they've got it in their back pocket. Just listen to Buster Only
0: Absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I don't think there's any major stories um, out of the injury wing yet this week.
1: F- final thought on, on yeah, yeah. Hunter Harvey. Sorry. Earlier on the season, yeah. I feel like when we talked about likable versus unlikable players, I worked really hard to convince myself that Hunter Harvey's inability to stay on the field – Did not impact my feelings toward him because I felt so unpleasantly about fans that gave Brian Roberts a hard time for not being able to get on the field. But I I don't have anything against the guy. I still like the guy. But I certainly don't have any, like, warm feelings.
0: No. I still like the guy. But I'm not, like, actively like, oh, I feel terrible about this. Where with Brian Roberts, I was just like, oh, I feel terrible for his wife. (laughs) (laughs) why
1: would you steal that from me this is so unfortunate that this is an audio medium because I put my hand up in the air to signify I want to say something Scott mentioned Brian Roberts' wife and my hand went down how dare you get there
0: first it was almost like you could see me finish Just we, like Prime Roberts wife. <laughs> and
1: we finished the medical wing. There's nothing else happening. So we should clean this up by going directly <laughs> to the internet. That's not beer on the floor <laughs> over there. <laughs> Let's take on uh, the Twitters and 280 characters or fewer. Um, I I want to start with a tweet that is so great. It's, it's, it's so great. It's so great. Uh, there were so many people that brought light to this. Uh, I'm gonna stick with Olivia Witherite, who is you know forever in our hearts here in Birdland, and uh, she tweeted as follows: she she referenced mm-hmm. a call in a game at Kevin Brown with the "You come at the king, you best not miss" home run call hashtag Baltimore. Of course, it's wonderful. Uh, Scotty, I don't know if we're gonna get thrown off the air for this, but can you play it?
0: Oh, I, I mean, we I can definitely play it. Um... You know, hopefully MLB does not have a major issue with this, uh, is the best way to describe it. But um, based off of what people posted elsewhere recently on Twitter, I don't think we're going to have an issue. Or control at the plate at the big league level. That ball is massacred by Austin Hayes. Oh, my goodness. You come at the king. You best not miss. 14 games. All right, so there's two things here. Number one, uh, great call by Kevin Brown, like like everyone says. Um, number two, dang, that was an impressive home run by Austin Hayes. Uh, number three, coming back to the call, it was an appropriate time to do it, obviously, in you know a, a memento basically. Um, but it was is also coming back to the standpoint of like if it was just slightly over the fence, it would have been like eh, kind of mm-hmm. hollow. But it's tying it together to, like, a blasted home run, you know, well over, you know, 400 feet, um, and then tying it together to a 14-game uh, hit streak. It just rings the right call is the best way to describe it. Like, everything kind of ties together is the best way to put it.
1: And, you know, whenever the national media is in town, they're so lazy about talking about the wire because, of course, that's the only thing people know Baltimore for. But uh with the passing of Michael K Williams to to you know pay tribute to it in an indirect way like that just chef kiss beautiful we are so lucky to have uh Kevin Brown calling games for us and uh
0: well the internet noticed absolutely uh, so Jake it has been 25 years 25 years to the date that uh Eddie took his seat uh and um you know hit his 500th run um so the Orioles posted this on Twitter with a video of Eddie uh, kind of talking about it really quickly. Going to play this. Oh. <laughs> oh, this ain't that far. Did they give me a home run and it's a double. No I'm kidding. <laughs> so twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. Jeez. So here's the thing about Eddie's 500th home run is every single time I watch the highlight of it. I feel really bad. Like I feel really bad because again, it's during the rain delay. There's not that many people there. You've got an Orioles great that, you know, comes back to Baltimore, go ahead and hit the 500 home run. And I don't know, like it's, it should be a bigger moment than it actually is. And especially it kind of backing up to 2131 in the next year. um, I don't know. Like I said, I really wish it would have been more of a bigger moment for, for the organization with as many fans as could have been there in the, in the, in the crowd.
1: It's nice to see them, you know, continue to continue to pay tribute to it, you know, continue to sure. recognize. It. I mean, of course, you know, the franchise doesn't have a ton of 500 home run hitters. I mean, it's just the two, right. But still, uh, particularly with the, um, you know, sometimes Rocky relationship that Eddie Murray had with the, the media at times. It's amazing to me to see, uh, the team and Eddie Murray continue to have a relationship and to to continue to have that story told. Sure, yeah, you know, because there are plenty of people I'm sure listening to this
0: podcast that never watched Eddie play. That's a good point. I mean, that, that that's definitely a possibility. I do think we have a tendency to lean on the <clears throat> older side, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, um, it, it's good to see Eddie, and it's also good to see the organization continuing to work with Eddie uh, and and put him out there. Um, so yeah, that's a a good memory is the best way to put it.
1: All right, the first tweet uh, from this week on the Twitters was, we could have picked any, and we went with the one. This is another situation where we could have picked any, but I'm going to go with the one. Uh, this goes to, uh, let's see, who tweeted this? At OG Sins underscore. Underscore was
0: really important there.
1: Yeah, yeah, their their name is Yankees Season,
0: S-Z-N. Mm.
1: I really don't understand the Orioles getting mangled by the rest of the, uh, the MLB. The MLB. The MLB. Nice. Uh, but come time to face the Yankees, their World Series caliber. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't happen to a nicer fan base. I love beating the Yankees. I love even more watching their fan base react.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, next week comes from, um, well, Eric RDT, Barstool at RDT, uh, It goes as follows. Feels like Orioles Twitter has been at each other's throats a lot this year.
1: It does feel that way.
0: But it brings a tear to my eye seeing everyone dunk on that clown Farnsworth. Well done, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to cover the Farnsworth tweet and stuff like that. I think everyone realized um, there was a dumb tweet um, from a a dumb individual. Um, But yeah, like I said, it was good to basically be like, hey, everyone can see when someone's being dumb and call them out for it. Um, because that's been really evident, um, and really absent for the past four or five years. Um, so it's good to see it.
1: Yeah. It, it, I think that, I mean, the reason we picked this tweet is I thought it was really fun to see somebody else say like, oh, we have been fractured. We have been so angry about baseball, but you come after one of our own. We respond with one voice. Yeah. It's kind of nice. And there
0: was a multitude of folks outside of Birdland within major league baseball that kind of called out Farnsworth and been like, dude, you're being an idiot. Like, what are you doing here? Um, So, yeah, Um, Jake, why don't you take the last tweet?
1: Well, the last one, you know, I I just want to draw attention. It's been all over the place, but there are a series of tweets. um, You know, the the, the Orioles have been involved. Melanie Newman has been tweeting about this. But there was a young girl at the ballpark with a sign saying, you know, basically, hey, Melanie Newman, do you need help uh, calling a game? Uh, She caught time on the broadcast. Kevin Brown was nice enough to recognize her. Um and so of course you know the team captured video of her having the opportunity to meet Melanie when children meet their heroes as it relates to baseball there is no purer joy of the game yeah I, it it doesn't matter what capacity of it is. for I mean for me I, th- I think it's wonderful we we need more women in baseball in meaningful roles right and so it's not it's not just little girls
0: seeing Women in baseball. I think it's little boys seeing women in baseball and normalizing that. It's pitching coaches coming up to bloggers and saying, hey, thanks for doing what you do.
1: I just, I think, (laughs) I think stuff like this is super cool. And especially when there's nothing else to talk about and nothing else good going on uh, with the ball club, uh, this just, you know, fills that baseball sized hole in your heart.
0: Yeah, there there are moments like this which are good. And again, I'm, I'm also going to point out to another individual within the Orioles community that's doing this, too. And I think back to the kids aspect. And I think back to there's been a lot of highlights in terms of uh, Ryan Mountcastle staying at every game mm-hmm. and basically staying there and basically signing every single autograph. And those are the stories that we used to hear during the 80s as well, where players would stay around and just basically sign and sign and sign. Um, you know, the players that are going to be here for the prolonged future and during this rebuild— are starting to take those efforts of saying, I want to be part of this team. I want to be for this organization. I want to be part of this community. Um, and we're starting to see that nucleus form out. Um, so outside of just what's going on the field right now, which we know is temporary, you're starting to see, um, you know, an organization form up and starting to, in essence, come together as it were. So, um, And connecting to the next generation of fans. Right, exactly. So disappointment as it relates to the standings, difference pointing as it relates to the results. But there's a lot of good things coming around the corner, as it were. Um, And, you know, we're actually starting to see that is the best way to describe it. So let's tandem into that um, and let's go around the bases and uh, we'll get started with, you know, some newer faces that we're seeing at first base.
1: All right, so let's do it. Let's go around the bases. Let's start at first base, and I want to talk the roster in general, Scott, because I'm going to go back to the old Buck Walterism of there being you know multiple seasons within the season. There's the regular season, then there's September, and then there's the playoffs. September was labeled as different because it was a different experience, right? Yep. You had the 40-man roster up there at the major league level, and it was different. Absolutely. You played baseball different in September than you did for the for the remainder of the season now things have changed yeah and you know the rule changes happen and then COVID happened and so this is really the first time i think that we're seeing the full ramifications of going from a 25 to 26 man roster and then transitioning from the regular season to the september season ha 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 but instead of going to the 40 man you go to a 28 man roster it's interesting I, yeah, I, I, th- I think that that adds a, a new flavor and dynamic for, you know, people like us that have grown up with the game looking a certain way for so long.
0: I, I agree. Um, you know, I think it comes back and echoes, you know, what Buck used to say, which is like, it's silly that we're allowing teams to bring up as many pitchers as they want um, into September during the playoffs. Um, it just waters down the game and the impact of September baseball. Um, and I completely agree with that um it actually you know buck used to say he's like it actually would make a lot more sense to do it in april in order to fine-tune rosters out going further. um but of course that wouldn't happen either because then there'd be service time obligations that came from it as well
1: all right so you're talking about the playoffs yeah playoffs that's that's great yeah you know that's fantastic doesn't it also have an effect on teams like the orioles who are just out there to throw stuff up against the wall and see what what sticks at the major league level
0: sure absolutely I mean, I, I think we've seen that before with rebuilding teams before. They'll just try different things out. But
1: and, and you see, you know, Brandon Hyde making comments like, oh, we're really thin in the bullpen right now. Well, y- yeah. 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 And that's the difference between the 40-man and the 28-man. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see bad teams manage the 28-man roster. Teams in the pennant chase manage the 28-man mm-hmm. roster. Like, what... What is that going to look like? Because it will change the game as far as, you know, people like you and I have experienced.
0: Yeah, and I think it's an interesting scenario, too, obviously with the 28-man roster uh, and not having the 40-man roster be able to come up as well. Um, it gets into this interesting conversation as well of, um, you know, Norfolk's not doing great. Marver's okay. Bowie is right there for a playoff spot. Is it worthwhile to keep certain prospects at Bowie and go on a slight playoff run? At Bowie, um, or does it make sense to bring them up to the major leagues and basically try to get them some, you know, losing games and some spot starts, as it were? Um, Do, I, I don't know.
1: I feel like we've we've mentioned in the past. Have we ever really talked about the fact? Does it matter that that team in Bowie won a championship before the Buckle of Birds season happened? The,
0: you know, the, we, those kids being together we, as winners will that matter we, later? We've talked about this. I don't think it matters a ton, honestly. Um, but I think if it comes back down to you're playing on a team that's going to lose well over 100 losses and then playing on a playoff standpoint, I'd probably say it's a net positive, but it's probably negligible at best. Mm. Um, but if I had to choose between one or the other, I'd probably keep them at Bowie uh, is the best way to put it. Um, but there have been roster changes. And like I said, there has been folks promoted from Norfolk, which, again, Norfolk's not playing for anything right now. I mean, it's their season's done. As it were. So, you know, looking at some of the names that we've seen, you know, come up, we had Dustin Knight come up earlier uh, in the month, Um, Alex Wells, um, Zach Lothar, um, Manny Pareda, all interesting names. I mean, out of those four names, um, I think Lothar interests me the most, honestly. Um, I know a certain Australian blogger would love to see Alex Wells work out, and I think Alex Wells might be a decent bullpen arm.
1: Why don't you just? wait for him to tweet something, and then you can just write the same thing.
0: That's a good point. But Luther is still the more interesting name to me out of all that. Um, Dustin doesn't do anything for me besides just doing a backflip, um, but that's about it for me. I mean, those are the four names that came up. Um, I think the biggest name that we haven't talked about in this roster change is Michael Ballman, um, number 10 prospect in the Orioles organization. And man, what a heck of a debut, debut he had um, you know, last evening. Um, are,
1: are are you a little surprised that they brought him up at all at this point
0: i'm not um i, I think it's the right time it comes back down to you he he was at norfolk um it just makes the right amount of sense i mean he's going to have to be on the major league I, I should take that back he doesn't need to be on the major league baseball roster um in 2022 but it makes the most amount of sense for him to go and basically start opening day in 2022 so why not get him some experience at the end of September, exactly what, you know, the 28-man or the 40-man roster used to be for um, in order to get them ready? So I think the ballman call-up is perfect timing, honestly.
1: Yeah, I, the only reason that it was surprising to me is because I, I feel like, you know, he pitched at the Double A level, he pitched briefly at A, and yep. then boom, there he was. Uh, and they, they haven't necessarily been rushing, you know, people. Sure. To the, to the majors at this point. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy to see him. I, I, you know, give me more. Give me more prospects. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm delighted that he had such a great debut.
0: Yeah, like I said, my, my only thing from that was just the standpoint of I just think that it's the right time because he's going to have to be up in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm okay with it is the best way to put it. And I'm willing to, in essence, say, yep, let's go ahead and, and move on past that. Um, but yeah, like I said, re- if you watch the game, you know, really impressive in terms of what he was doing out there, uh, Minimized his pitch count, did a really nice job kind of mixing pitches up. Um, we'll have to see. He definitely had some long fly ball outs, uh, which is a little concerning to me. Um, you, in, in the AL East, that'll get you in trouble? That, that will get you in trouble. <laughs> um, but like I said, overall, uh, really happy to see that kind of performance. Um, at 25 years old, I think it's time is the best way to describe it. Like he's going to be 26 next year. Um, I I think it's time is the best way to describe it. And again, you know, one of the things that I think has been an issue with Ballman throughout his development has been his velocity has been up, down, up, down, up, down. He's right around 94, 95 last night. So like, I was really happy to see, uh, the velocity, the movement that he was getting with his slider, um, there was nothing there I didn't like. Um, the question is, is Ballman going to be a back-end starter, or is he going to be your 7th, 8th, or ninth inning sure. relief pitcher? And if I'm looking at Ballman and I'm looking at the age, I think he's probably going to be a bullpen arm. So he's your Brad Brock. Yes. So I think it's going to be somewhere in that ballpark. I I think he's probably an eighth inning guy. Um, I don't know if he's a closer. I don't know if he's got a filthy enough stuff for it.
1: You're saying you don't know
0: if he, he has uh, seven different change-ups? I, I don't think he has that Not now. enough
1: time in the Mexican League?
0: But again, he could easily be a starter. I mean, he could take a very similar route to what Zach Britton did, honestly, Um, and just be like, eh, I could be an okay starter slash failed starter and turn out to be a really good Bullpen arm. The only thing I would say about
1: velocity is you know don't don't read too much into somebody's debut. Sure, right. He he was amped in a amped way that he'll adrenaline. never be amped
0: again. Absolutely. And family is there. He's trying to do everything that's possible. But um, let's just see what happens. Like I said, the slider was really good. Is the best way to put it. He left it elevated in one or two instances, but the slider was really nice um, last evening. So um, let's see what happens. Let's let, let, we we'll go from there. All right, we'll take it. All right, why don't we go over to second base next, um, and let's, um, let's talk about the greatest baseball player of all time. I,
1: I want to address the hype. Mm-hmm. All right, we haven't really
0: had the opportunity to have a, an in-depth discussion
1: about this since Jemai Jones was finally, finally promoted to the majors. And Scott, I mean, just let's recap, right? We talked about the guy. We wanted to see him. We were excited, exciting player, lots of raw skills, nothing else going on. You know, a position that was vacated by Rio Ruiz and whoever else the Orioles had. Yep. Jemai Jones finally comes up after, you know, the the Twitterverse uh, kills itself in, in effigy over him. We only have 12 games to work with here. So th- this is the smallest of sample size. Sure. Uh, but I'll say... That the the results so far have not been fantastic.
0: No, they they have been pretty poor. So, uh, Jake, you put these numbers together, which I'm immensely impressed by. So, congratulations.
1: Was it the preparation of the fact that it was presented in a way that would encourage you to think that English was my native language?
0: Poor cannibalist dose. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, two point three uh, percent a walk rate, thirty two percent, thirty two point six percent K rate, two fifty six Babbitt, one seventy one average. 2 WOBA, 23 reads, 1-3 plus. Nothing good there. Like no. no. There's nothing good there.
1: And the thing is that there doesn't have to be, right? This is a lost season. If he's going to get uh, familiar with the majors, this is the time to do it, the lowest stakes there can be. But I was hoping to see something from Jemai Jones, and, and I never believed the hype, mm-hmm. right? The people that were screaming the loudest that the Orioles were fools for not bringing up Jamai Jones. That was clearly... Noise for the sake of noise, sure. But I was hoping that we had something, and and we we, we may we right. may very well, you know, twelve games is not enough to to say that his career is going to be an all star or nothing. But so far, not good.
0: Yeah, I mean, still twenty three years old. So I mean, yeah, there's, yeah. There, I mean, you know, many things could happen. But you know, I think you know, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast of you know Dylan Atkinson is like, well. I hate to point out to everyone that was super hyped about Jamai Jones, but he hasn't been really doing great in the minors. So he definitely cooled off. Um, and I, I think that's definitely concerning. But, you know, if we're looking for more of an immediate standpoint of being like, oh, wow, you know, I, I hate to move away from Jamai Jones from the hype standpoint. But I think we have to talk about Jorge Mateo. Oh, absolutely. So like Jorge Mateo has been like absolutely in fuego. Like, um, I, I, I mean, In, I'm sorry, in 84 games right now, uh, over the season now, he's at, you know, a 89-weighted greater plus, but his defense has been absolutely impeccable, and the speed is just unbelievable. So I I don't know. Like, I I look at this, and I'm like, okay, well, if Jemite Jones doesn't work out, can Jorge Mateo be that special player that can be a utility infielder. And,
1: yeah. And I'm so glad you said that a utility in player, like we're looking for spare parts. Right. Right. And, and you know, at the, at the bevies, I screamed about how well R- Ramon Urias is doing. Right. A- as somebody that we're like, Oh, maybe he can just be a spare part. Well, he's got regular playing time and he's actually performing. Correct. Right. And so as long as now- you can
0: say healthy, I would say that. I mean, we talked about in the, in, in the medical wing of like, you still get these occasional weird aspects like Austin Hayes injuries, like sure. I'm out for a little bit, I'm out for a little bit. Again, I think it's it's good for the Orioles to basically not rush him on that aspect.
1: But but so you got this Mateo, and you're like, Well, can he be, you know, sub Flaherty? Can can he be, sure. you know, the the Chris Gomez? Correct. And from what he's showing us, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe. Over the twenty-seven games that he's been with Baltimore. Um, he has a 168, 116 weighted runs created plus. Um, you know he is doing very well. And like I said, defensively, he's actually slightly down right now, um, uh, compared to his you know historical average. So I don't know. Like I said, I I have to assume based off his Babbitt being at 382 that regression is likely.
1: Well, his last two weeks have petered out. So in the yes. last two weeks, uh, Mateo's uh, weighted runs Creative plus is down to 79. So he's. He's tailing down a little bit, but again, lost season, right? terrible team. I, I think for both Mateo and Jemai Jones, the question will be, what do these guys do with the last remaining games, and what do they do with next year's spring training?
0: Sure. And again, it, it comes back to Mateo, which is, he is such a X factor as it relates to a prospect that has 80 grade speed. Yeah. 80 grade speed, like... I can't think of another player that has 80 grade speed. Although, again, side topic a couple of a side topic, um, you know, Cedric Mullins was recognized by his peers as being one of the better base stealers in the American League, but again, having Mateo on the bench that could be a utility infielder also potentially play outfield in a really in a bind situation, um, being able to bring him in in late inning games in the future, um, with an 80 grade speed, that is highly invaluable um in the American League East.
1: All right, fine, fine. We're talking about how great Mateo is. But listen, Scott, if that is
0: your real name,
1: is he going to come in and get a save at the major league level?
0: No, he's going to be left in the bullpen.
1: <laughs> so you're saying he is he
0: is no Stevie Wilkerson, but he might be a Zach Britton? He might be a Zach Britton. All right, I'll take yeah. that. But yeah, like I said, I think there's some interesting things going on. And again, going back to the Mateo standpoint, uh, with we made fun of this last time with people bashing on Michael Elias in terms of well he has proved that he can go get players clear example of him going off and getting someone off the waiver wire even Jermaine Jones again who's not having certain success trading trading Alex Cobb for Jermaine Jones in a lost season um certainly makes sense and it's kind of building up that pot of well maybe maybe he could turn into something um and these are the kind of moves that Again, haven't paid all dividends just yet, Um, but there's something there is the best way to put it. So go for there. Um, Going to third base, um, Jake, the Orioles been doing pretty well um, over the past week or so. Um, They even won a series against the Yankees. What? And as exciting as I was to rub that into folks that I know that are Yankees fans' faces... And um, it was. And it was. A a part of me was also scoreboard watching and standings watching and looking at the Diamondbacks and saying... They're getting pretty close to the Orioles here. And, uh, you know, as of this, you know, point right now, the Orioles are statistically tied with the Diamondbacks uh, for the number one draft pick. So, Jake, I asked you the question, are you going to be disappointed if the Orioles miss out on the number one draft pick? All right. This question
1: pains me. Yeah. This question pains me. Yeah. And here's why. Because my answer is inconsistent with... Other answers I've given in the past. So it's a classic Jake English answer. <laughs> Sit down. Let me explain it to you. Um, no. does not bother me. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain why later. But what really bothers me about it is, no, it doesn't bother me. But I have been whining for weeks yep. and months that if the Orioles can't be bad, they might as well be historically bad. Historically bad. I was the one that was bummed. That they didn't lose 22 straight because at least in this awful, God-terrible season,
0: I would be able to say... You had me questioning whether was or not the, the, the worst. You had me questioning whether the Orioles could actually win five or six more games <laughs> for the rest of the season. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. They have to be able to do this. Like, They can't be this bad.
1: If they're going to be bad, they might as well be the worst. Yep. Now, that, that has been my position all season, which goes directly against my answer to your perfectly uh, reasonable question which is no i'm not going to be disappointed if they're not the worst uh team in the league because you know as nice it is as it is in a, in a season in which the draft has a no question number one guy like adley rutschman that you want to have the number one pick for that's not always the case mm-hmm. and i feel like at two or three or five you're always going to get a player you can be excited about you can always get a player that if your player development program is worth anything, you can turn into a real uh, consequential major league player.
0: I hear you. Um, but why am I wrong? there's just something about a number one draft pick. That's all I'm gonna say. Is like there's something about uh, having a number one draft pick. I mean take a look at Rutchman, for example, and I know Rutchman was, you know, Redmond wasn't even a, a can't miss prospect. It was just like he is probably the best on the board, but it wasn't a can't miss prospect. Um, I I think that if the Orioles were to get a number one prospect, it just sets up really well for the twenty twenty three to twenty twenty eight rebuild. Is the best way to put it. Um, I think they go out and get another college bat. Um, and uh, I just. It makes it so much easier, is the best way to put it, in order for the Orioles to be really competitive.
1: Okay. And I hear you, and that makes sense. And that's You're not wrong. That's not a crazy outlook. But let me ask you this question. Sure. Should our confidence about the Orioles 2023 to 2028 be dependent upon the difference between a number one and a number two pick in one year of this rebuild? Probably not. No. Um, there's because, because my argument is there is if they're doing this right, right. Then number
0: one, number two doesn't matter.
1: If, if it does matter. Right. Then I think we're in more trouble than I think we are.
0: I no, I, Like I said, I don't think it matters. I think it's, you know, the difference between being like circumcised and uncircumcised. It, whoa, it, whoa. It just doesn't, doesn't really matter. Brought to but, you by Catholic Church. Yeah, though. absolutely. Actually, that was brought to us by the Orthodox Jewish League of Baltimore. Um, please bless, bless your rabbi. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree that in the grand scheme of things, it is, um, you know, a minute a, a portion, but I just feel like it sets the deck up so well um, to basically be more successful in 2023
1: through 2028. Yeah, or tangent on on tangent upon tangent. Sorry. Yeah. But you mentioned the Orioles will probably get another college bat. Yeah. Where is the pitching? Right? It's, it's interesting. Yeah. The Orioles are loading up yep. on talented position players mm-hmm. our our whole concept yep before the elias regime of what a rebuild is supposed to look like yep. is grow the arms buy the bats yep scott are the are the orioles acquiring uh,
0: acquiring the bats and planning to buy the arms later um uh, so there's two things here number one um even if the orioles want to go out and buy the arms i don't know if they're going to like, I keep mentioning this to people, people like, well, you also just need to pay for pitching. It's just like, I don't know if pitchers want to come to Camden Yards, number one. I also don't know if pitchers want to compete in the American League East. Um, is it possible? Sure, it's possible. But um, I think you're going to be hard-pressed um, to get a really good pitcher to say, yep, I want to commit the rest of my career into Canyon yards at, in at the Baltimore Orioles
1: worked out great for Alex Cobb
0: worked out great for a ton of pitchers is the best way to put it. Um, however, I do think that this comes back down to, um, the Orioles feel like they have something and they know something as it relates to, um, data that they are collecting, uh, with, um, batted balls, um, some of the data collection that they're doing at the minor league facilities, etc. cetera, and I think they feel like the best way that they can utilize that data and, in essence, um, you know, create the you know best product on the field is by basically drafting college bats and developing college bats, and then coming back to the pitcher standpoint, it's well, if we've got all these college bats and there's no place to go, well, we'll have to trade them in order to get either. A starting pitcher that was unwilling to sign with us, hmm. um, or a prospect in the future as well.
1: The other thing about, and I, I think you're not wrong. So it's I'm not. all
0: about figuring out where you have an advantage. So like, it's not as simple as being like, well, we've got to draft the pitching and draft the the batting and then figure out like how's this going to work. It's all about getting an edge with data analysis. So if the Orioles feel like they have an edge over every other team, then they can in essence go out there and say. Here's where we think we're going to win, is the best way to describe it in terms of our data analysis. Um, I think that's the game they're playing. So, the
1: dumb part of me says you build the rest of this team. Yep. It's easier to uh, convince pitchers to come on board if they're the last piece you need. Right. If this team is pretty good, right. But all we need is pitching. Right. Like Alex Cobb. It's a, it's a lot easier. Borobato Jimenez. Yeah. It's a lot easier to get somebody to, to, you know, might not work. Right. But it's a lot easier to get the signing.
0: I think it's a lot easier to um, just go out and trade for mm-hmm. a starting pitcher. Um, I think that's the easiest way to do it. It's interesting because, like, I came back to this point of saying, like, I don't think pitchers want to come to Baltimore. But it's interesting because, like, when no trade calls has come up with 10-5 player, players, um and they run through the list, like Baltimore's almost never on the no trade clause, um, which is weird. It's like... That's
1: because of crab cakes, clearly.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe it's just their agent saying, well, like, oh, well, Baltimore's never going to trade for you. Like, that's never going to happen. So maybe that'll change eventually. Um, but it's odd to me that Baltimore is never on a no trade list. Don't know. But I think that's what's going to happen, is we've got a plethora of... Um, We'll call it power hitting outfielders at this point. Um, I think eventually um, a a group of power hitting outfielders is traded along with some other, you know, mid-level prospects in the 10 to 20 range um, for a starting pitcher that maybe is not an ace, but is a really good player.
1: You heard it here, folks. Scott wants to trade Cedric Mullins. What a jerk.
0: Um, you know what? If if someone offered something big enough for Cedric Mullins, that's great. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be Cedric Mullins. Like, I would actually be looking at someone like Colton Kalser that we just got or Heston Kerstad and saying, do you need all those outfielders? Um, and, like, who can be traded from that? And maybe it, it's not going to be an outfielder in the top ten. Maybe it's going to be someone like, well, you've got Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. Um, Both of them are going to play probably shortstop or third base. Do you need both? What if one of those is part of the package? So I think ultimately the way you're going to get a starting pitching is you're going to trade one of your top 10 prospects, probably a four through an eight. You're going to trade someone that is in your 13 to 17 range, and you're going to get a Above average uh starting pitcher, maybe not like a Garrett Cole, but you're gonna get a potentially. You're gonna potentially get a two or three. And I think it's probably gonna be more closer to a two with that kind of package. Um, and again, this is where the benefit of having a really deep and strong farm system comes into play. Of yes, Grayson is great, yes, Adley is great. But looking behind them, like Dio Hall, Gunnar Henderson, Colton Kouser, Jordan Westberg, Kirstad, um, Kyle Bradish. We haven't even talked about Kyle Bradish recently, but like Bradish is a really interesting individual. Um, and I'll be interested to see do we see Bradish up here by the end of the season? Um, Bradish actually interests me a lot more than Bauman does. And that's saying a lot. Um, and again, Michael Elias and Sigmund Dell are huge on Bradish. I mean, they have said before that they think Bradish is. Equal to Dia Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. That is massive praise. Like, yeah. like that is massive praise. And Bradish has gotten some accolades from some other players that he has gone against on Fangraphs before. I think they're from the Mets organization. So, um,
1: so um, tangent upon tangent upon tangent. tangent tangent. Yep. You said something a few minutes ago that actually interested me, and I, I I marked it down mentally to go back for. You talked about the the data that the Orioles are collecting. That the Elias and Middel re- regime, uh, you know, we, we collect this data, we analyze this data, and that gives us an edge. Yeah, we are cl- the Orioles are clearly not first to this game. No, and in in every way that matters, the Orioles were playing catch up. Correct. Is there any way for us to know if the Orioles are just one of many teams that does this okay to well, or if the Orioles? have a analytics program that matters.
0: So you're absolutely right that the data collection is probably pretty standard compared to what other folks are. The bigger question is what kind of modeling are you doing specifically to discern out the data and determine what kind of impacts it has? I think that's the bigger story. Um, You know, we, we joked about it in terms of like on base percentages and stuff like that back in the day. and, And certainly that was something, but every we'll call it five years, there's a new um, enlightenment that comes from Sabermetrics. Um, and, it, you know, the Orioles are not going to share that outright with folks in terms of saying, well, this is what we're doing, because then you're basically sharing your trade secret or your modeling to other folks. They may be paying tabs with my Dell specifically in terms of what other people are doing, basically to make sure that they are not. Um, doing exactly the same thing as another organization, but they're probably not giving away their trade secrets in terms of how their code and how their modeling is built. Whether or not it's going to be successful is ultimately going to come back to this question of we've drafted a lot of college bats over the past three years. Are any of them going to be successful in the majors? Um, so you're not going to know until next year slash um, 2023. What I will say is, Looking at data from folks that have graduated the system and still use that data, such as a Castle, such as a Cedric Mullins, who actually had to go back into the minors, then come back out of it. I do think the Orioles have something going where it's not just hit it for launch angle and hit it for distance, but more so um, a plate discipline slash plate approach basis where line drives are going to be acceptable over home runs in some instances.
1: And to your earlier point, it's not just whether or not they become something, but whether they become something that turns in via the trade correct?
0: to a meaningful piece. Correct. And that's the big standpoint as it relates to um, the Orioles prospects are, I think that's the most important standpoint. All right. So uh, coming into home plate, we've got to, um, well, it, it, there's some important things that came across. So uh, let, let's break this down really quickly. That's right, folks. It's time for the Delman Young Watch. (laughs) I was
1: just looking like, what did I miss with Brian Roberts? What happened?
0: So uh, news came out this evening where uh, ex-MLB Delman Young was caught punching his ex-girlfriend in the chest and leaving her and then trying to flee in his Maserati SUV, only to be caught running a stop sign by police later on. So, Jake... uh, I always come back to Delman Young. We've made jokes about Delman Young. The only that. thing
1: I can say is the legend of Delman Young in the post-player career lives on. So
0: are you saying that he was first pitch swinging? <laughs> Jeez. So I guess this comes back to, like, I watched the Delman Young double, and even when it was happening in this given moment, I thought to myself, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. But then in the back of my head, I was like, why does it have to be Delman <laughs> Young? <laughs> like... Could it have been anybody else besides Delvin Young? Specifically because coming into the 2014 season, I knew about these issues. And then, you know, continuing to see them pop up every so often. I think this is the fourth time he's been charged with domestic violence. And I'm like, that's the individual that I have my greatest memory from Orioles history tied to in my head.
1: Let's just take a pause there. Yeah. Can you imagine if the Delvin Young double was anybody else? On that roster, yeah, like, like if that double, 2014, right?
0: Yeah, 2014.
1: So if that 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 was uh, Nelson Cruz, right? Yeah. If if that double was hit by Nelson Cruz, yeah, he'd be an Oriole Hall of Famer.
0: Oh yeah, right. Like no question. I think by Orioles Hall of Fame standards, you have to be an Oriole for like three years. But no. the Orioles advocates they would have made they would have made they uh, just, just changed that. Okay. Right?
1: If that double was hit by... I mean, who else was on Would that the be called the grandmother clause? Yes. <laughs> Grandma, open the door. If that, if that double was hit by Flaherty, if that double was hit by anybody else, yeah. it would have been that much bigger. Because I think that there are a lot of Orioles fans.
0: I don't know if it can be bigger. Like, that's the whole thing. It's almost like... It's almost like watching a bat. It's like watching a 1980s John Hughes movie, and you're watching it, and you're like... Wow, this is incredibly racist and offensive, but I really kind of still enjoy it, is the best way to describe it. Like, It just, it, it kind of sends like a little bit of a like, a, like, I want to like this, it's got a positive memory in my head, but it kind of skews me out at the same time.
1: We need to have a very serious talk, you I. Know, sure. You can't use the Brian Roberts watch <laughs> music <laughs> for, for Dominion. Dominion. <laughs> We used it for the... Nick Marcakis watch. Absolutely. And that's okay. Yes.
0: You so, cannot use it. So you can go Delman Young. You can go Nick Marcakis, you can go Brian Roberts, but Delman Young can't stand in that same category. No. Okay. Good to know. I've learned something at Bird's Eye View this evening. I I did not realize <laughs> that uh,
1: the legend of Delman Young in his post playing career had continued. Uh, thank you so much for bringing it to my attention.
0: Breaking news! I had to break it break it for you. So this, this uh, is the value of this podcast. Absolutely. All right. Well, that uh, let's go ahead and figure out who won Fantasy Boss this week, um, and uh, see what the score is. What. There's a time and place, Jake.
1: What? Oh, I see. see. Uh,
0: So, Jake, um, who's the boss? I'm the boss. Um, Mona. Mona was the boss. Mona was the boss. There's no question about it. Uh, So, we had Ks uh, in the previous Fantasy Boss. Ramon Uris had five Ks. Anthony Santander had four we're separated by one strikeout. One strikeout is pretty ridiculous. Doesn't why does this always happen to us? I, I don't know. But the score is tied eight-eight. Eight. Fantasy boss
1: is as close as I can remember. It is. We're not even coming up with ridiculous rules anymore. No. This is. And Scotty, do you remember the last year that you won Fantasy
0: Boss? I don't think I ever have. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> I don't think I ever have. I think I've always lost, and I'm like, and this is why I came back to halfway through the season where I was down by like three, and I'm like. You know what? I'm just gonna pick like Jake English. Like, I'm not even gonna apply statistical knowledge to it. I'm just gonna pick random names and be like, that name looks good.
1: I'm I'm becoming cons- I'm becoming uncomfortable, uncomfortable with how fantasy bosses yeah. working
0: out. Uh
1: so I lost this week. Um, and that means that it is my turn to pick the next statistic. Uh Scotty. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to dig deep. Okay. Into the roster here. Okay. I'm going to ask you which starter this week will log the most innings.
0: Hmm. Who is going to log the most innings? Um. Well, I'm definitely not going to say Matt Harpy because <laughs> that would.
1: I'm really glad you said that. Can I take a tangent of a tangent of a tangent of a tangent? By all means. I saw a quote from. Uh, I saw a quote from Brandon Hyde this week, talking about uh, innings pitched, and he said something to the effect of, Matt Harvey has thrown a ton of pitches, or thrown a ton of innings for us this season. And I was like, that can't be right. Yeah. That that cannot be a true statement. And so I looked up his stats. I was like, holy crap, he started 27 games. Wow, he really has thrown a lot. But then I looked at his innings pitched. Yep. 123.1 innings pitched over 27 starts, which comes out to, wait for it, 4.5 4.5 innings per game. Not, no. No, Brandon Hyde. No, he has not thrown not a great. ton of innings for
0: you. Yeah, not great whatsoever. <sighs> All um, right. Have I
1: stalled sufficiently enough for you to select
0: someone? You have. Um, I'm going to go out on the limb here, and I'm going to go classic Jake English style. I'm going with Chris Ellis. Oh, my God. I'm so... <laughs> that was... <laughs>
1: Is that the Jake
0: English of picks, or is that the Jake English of picks? That was my guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there was no way he was going to pick
0: Chris Ellis because, in typical Scott Magnus style, he would have picked. Well, I'm got to go with John Means and Chalk, but if I'm going to go with the Jake English school of picking random names out of a hat, I've got to go with Chris Ellis.
1: No. (laughs) Oh, all right. Um. I feel like that means that I have to go with John Means, but no. Instead, do it.
0: Do no. it. Beat the Scott Magnus of the podcast for, for, for Fantasy Boss. I can. It feels dirty <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, I'm going to go with Keegan Aiken. All right. Well, we will see if Keegan Aiken or Chris Ellis, who whoever knew him, Chris Ellis was on the roster. was apparently a real person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is going to own Fantasy Boss. Who thought we would have Chris Ellis being a person selected in Fantasy Boss in September? Uh, so let's see who owns it this week with innings pitched. Uh, with that, we're going to do the good the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to actually start it off this week, and uh, with the good, um, my good's going to go to Cedric Mullins. Um, you know, three home runs this week, 320 average, uh, six weighted runs created plus. But, but more importantly, again, I don't like to make a big deal um, out of counting stats. But Cedric Mullins going into 25, or 25 for 25, um, and, and you know, being one of only three Orioles to do so is pretty impressive. And again, um, you know, I was doubting a little bit earlier this season of whether he was going to hit 30 for 30. I don't want to say it's a guarantee because I certainly don't think it's a guarantee, but man, he is projecting to hit that number of 30 for 30. There's, I mean, and it gives us something to watch for. I, I think that's the big thing. Like, I think that is one of the storylines along with like the, the, the pitching going forward, but you know, he is at 27 home runs, 26 stolen bases, and we still have, you know, most of September left. We'll call it three-plus weeks. So I don't want to say it's, like, absolutely guaranteed it's going to happen. But, man, it is looking really favorable at this point.
1: He's got the green line, right? I mean, it's open
0: open hunting season. There's no question. Um, And, again, um, you know, I, I, I don't like to pull up season stats as it relates to um, uh, a, a good, bad, the ugly for this week, but 5.5 war still in like the top five or six in terms of F war for the entire major league baseball. Um, yeah. I mean, it, th- this is going to be um, a season that we'll look back for Cedric Mullins and be like, okay, if you can do that and you can do it with Rutschman coming up um, and you can even be a three war player going forward in the future, wow like you we found we found gold is the best way to describe it and like i said there would be no way at the beginning of the season that i would have told you that cedric mullins was, was better than a two war player i would have said one or two war like somewhere in that ballpark tops um so if cedric mullins can truly be this going forward in future seasons um holy cow is the best way to put it so i'm i'm like i said cedric mullins congratulations on getting 25 for 25 um looking forward to celebrating uh, 30-30 club um, going forward in the future. Like I said, Um, I think he got it. Just keep hitting it.
1: (laughs) Scott, you broke the rules. I did. You referenced the full season stats. I did. You know the drill. I do. This is Good, Bad, the Ugly this week. You know what? Fine. You're going to break the rules? I'm going to break the rules. Okay. We haven't been behind the mics for two weeks. Yep. I'm going to go back and look at the full two weeks. Let's look at the back, uh, look back at the, the last 2 weeks. DJ Stewart's been pretty good. He now, has? he's only had 9 games and 26 plate appearances, but he is working with what he's been given. He has he has got a 23.1 walk percentage, which is better than his K percentage. And granted he's uh, had the luck dragon behind him, he's got a 385 Babbitt, but he's had a 490 wOBA and a 217 weighted runs created plus. He is having a heck of a streak right now. Over the last two weeks, I often trash him, so he's my good this week.
0: My bad for the week is going to go to Matt Harvey. Um, He continues to, in essence, kind of not go deep into games. Scott, Uh, he's
1: thrown so many innings for us. Yeah. Just ask Brendan Hyde.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean he in, in the past week he threw four innings pitched um uh, in, in one start you know tonight he didn't get too deep into the game as well I think he went four innings as well um ERA again is super high um you know Matt Harvey is in essence probably ending his major league baseball career at this point um and it's a shame but you know this is how it ends unfortunately
1: yeah yeah all right uh well Scott you You've sent me spiraling. Mm -hmm. You broke the rules. Again? And so now I've broken the rules. And if I've broken the rules, Scott, I'm not going to stop breaking the rules. Oh, no. I'm going good again. Okay. My second good of this good, the good, and the ugly, apparently, is going to go to Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan Mountcastle has had a great pair of weeks. Yeah, you heard me. Pair Pair of weeks. He's had 55 plate appearances with which to work. And he is also riding the luck dragon at a 345 BABIP, and oh, he's just only had a 359 WOBA, a 130 weighted runs, created plus. Here's what I love about the end of the season that Ryan Mountcastle having. having. Um, we need this guy mm-hmm. in the future. And, you know, he's been up and he's been down at the plate. I want to see him end the season on a positive note, have him come into spring training next year being not a question mark as, can he do it, but a question mark of Can he do it again?
0: Right. Uh, So my ugly is going to go to who um, MLB in general. Um, Not the MLB? Not the MLB. Um, What kind of organization thinks it's a good idea to broadcast Hall of Fame inductions in one o'clock on the afternoon on a Wednesday after Labor Day? Like talk about a way to like market your product. Um, What a. His poor way to do it. Take out the trash. Um, I, I understand, like, hey, we want to do it, you know, during the day, so that people can attend it outside. There were better ways to do this. Um, and as much as I, we can bash on Jeter as much as we want, of saying he's over and stuff like that. It's an easy way to get eyes onto um, uh, and to a perennial favorite, um, a national favorite. So uh major league baseball screwed screwed this up big time um this should have been on a weekend it should have been even something like i think back to like espn college game day um where you've got espn there um you've got you know fans and stuff like that on a weekend on a saturday or sunday um major league baseball dropped the ball on this one
1: this should have been packaged with the field dream games
0: Mm, that's a great a great idea too um you know similar to when like at the super bowl for example for the nfl they walk out the hall of fame inductees mm-hmm. and do it yeah that would have been a great idea to basically um package it with the hall of, uh, with the field dreams game and just see the hall of famers walk out from the corn um and just do their induction like that would make make a lot more sense um the only aspect for that would be like it's on cooperstown number one um and then number two like uh, we know how expensive those Field of Dreams games were. It, there is a certain apropos of bringing a chair, and just sitting out in the field and watching the Cooperstown ceremony. But um, Major League Baseball got to be smart about this. Like, if you're going to engage with a new generation, it can't be on 130, uh on Wednesday afternoon. Um, it just, it's just not going to work. It's just, it's just really dumb product placement.
1: No, you're right. But Scott, you're really bumming me out.
0: Did I break another rule? Did I mention Derek Jeter on this podcast?
1: You mentioned Derek Jeter without mentioning Evan Meek. Oh. I'm going to keep talking about the last two weeks. Yeah. And I'm going to say something else that's good. What? It's the good, the good, and the good. You realize how many wins this team has, right? You can't stop me. <laughs> oh, do I know how many wins this team has? Yeah, how many wins? No, not enough. Too, too few for me to be... Uh, An emotionally stable person. But that doesn't matter. Do you know why?
0: Because you don't care about the number one draft
1: pick. (laughs) That is also true. It doesn't matter because the Baltimore Orioles won a series against the Yankees. Yes, they did. This weekend. And there is no greater joy than beating the Yankees. Beating the the Yankees is awesome when it matters to the Yankees. Beating the Yankees when it doesn't matter to the Yankees is amazing. Beating the Yankees when we're good is fulfilling. Beating the Yankees when we're bad is fulfilling. There is no time that beating the Yankees does not feel right. Even when there is no joy in Mudville and there clearly is not, small joys can come from beating the Yankees. It couldn't happen to a nicer fan base. And if it is, if it is us being terrible, weapons grade terrible, embarrassingly bad that makes them feel even worse about it, fine. Beating the Yankees is my good, 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 good,
0: good this week. And it cut out the tanking talk for a few days. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like I said, as hard as it was to see me see the Diamondbacks get a little bit closer, man, it felt so sweet. So sweet, so sweet, so sweet. All right, with that, let's go ahead and blow the save. Jake, I'll uh, I'll let you take it away.
1: this has been a series of embarrassments we have seen so many low notes we have seen time and time again the Orioles make it difficult to watch and so I want to talk about Monday's game when the highlight of the Orioles Royal game a matchup that used to matter yep and the highlight of that game was fans at Camden Yards chasing down a Baltimore City rat. Yeah. Okay. There are layers here that we need to address. Yeah. First of all, first, if you are one of twelve thousand people at Camden Yards on a weeknight to see the Orioles and the Royals play, you have already shown poor decision-making skills. Was it twelve thousand? I thought it was four thousand four hundred. Uh, the, the
0: announced crowd. Oh, the announced crowd. Gotcha.
1: If you are one of those people at that said game who decides to run toward the Baltimore City rat. Bigger problems. Much bigger problems. Yeah. Also, as a lover of Baltimore, as an unabashed lover of Baltimore, I'm a little disappointed that the reason that we're national news has to do with rats. It's kind of a bummer.
0: It is a bummer to be rat chasers.
1: Yeah. No good. No good. Rats and my city, rats and my baseball team make me sad. Yeah. And that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire uh, catalog of indispensable episodes at com.
0: Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. and encourages other people to listen for the first time.
1: Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at You can find us on social media all over the place. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Birds Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will
0: bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. I have a tangent for you. A tangent based on a tangent on a tangent? Based off a tangent on a tangent on a tangent. Is it like a Matryoshki doll of tangents? Yes, it is. I'll allow it.